Den första oktober så anlände hon till Årsta Folkets hus teater. Författaren vi väntat på så länge. Jamaica Kincaid. På scenen mötte hon Valerie Tjejune Backström. Låt detta underbara samtal ta sin början. Hello everyone, welcome and welcome Jamaica Kincaid. It's an honor to have you here. How Thank are you feeling? Oh, um, I'm feeling I, I'm feeling fine. Um, but I was just thinking that uh, um, I should ask you to, um, if you don't uh, find anything I say interesting, is because I've been in um, Sweden for a few days, and I've said everything interested I know in English and I haven't yet learned Swedish so I I may not have anything interesting to say in English and um, uh, so forgive me. I'm sure we, you won't disappoint us and I think we all will manage very well with what you have to say tonight but I'm going to ask you first to read uh, a part of your book that is not new, but it's new here in Swedish, uh, <laughs> Mr. Potter. Yes, um, uh, I think I'll just read um, the first paragraph, which is oh, a page and a half long, I th um, but not one sentence, just a page and a half long. Uh, it begins... And that day the sun was in its usual place, up above and in the middle of the sky, and it shone in its usual way so harshly bright, making even the shadows pale, making even the shadows seek shelter. That day the sun was in its usual place, up above and in the middle of the sky, but Mr. Potter did not note this, so accustomed was he to this, the sun in its usual place, up above and in the middle of the sky. If the sun had not been in its usual place, that would have made a great big change in Mr. Potter's day. It would have meant rain, however briefly such a thing, rain might fall, but it would have changed Mr. Potter's day. So used was he to the sun in its usual place, way up above and in the middle of the sky. Mr. Potter breathed in his normal way. His heart was beating in its normal way, up and down underneath the covering of his black skin, up and down underneath his white knitted cotton vest next to his very black skin, up and down underneath his plainly woven white cotton shirt that was on top of the knitted cotton vest, which lay next to his skin. So his heart breathed in its normal way and he put on his trousers and in the pocket of his trousers he placed a white handkerchief and all this was as normal as the way his heart beat. All this, his putting on his clothes in just that way, as normal as the way his heart beat. The heart beating normally and the clothes reassuring to Mr. Potter and to things beyond Mr. Potter, things that did not know they needed such reassurance. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank, Thank you. So, do you want to tell us about Mr. Potter? Who is Mr. Potter? Oh, um, well, um, mo 
most people would assume that um, he is my father. Um, I, my biological father's name is, uh, was, I should say, um, uh, Roderick uh, Potter. And um, many things in the book uh, correspond to my actual uh, biography. But, um, and yet it isn't this man because I, uh, uh, my biological father, I never really knew. Um, uh, so uh, I, I think, um, you know, I never know I'm going to be asked these questions. Uh, so I don't have the, the answer. Uh, the answer I would give you would be, you have to read the book. Um, uh, because uh, the reason I start to write anything is because I'm trying to explain to myself some piece of history, trying to understand some, whether it's um, broader history or personal history, um, and what is history really, or some account of the past, uh, I'm trying to understand. Um, but uh, then all sorts of things get worked into it, you know, uh, that are personal, or that you can identify with me, but you um, also uh, can't. It's, it's, um, it's unusual, I suppose, I, I can see now that it's unusual to think of a, a person, an individual person, uh, an individual who is black to write about the experience of uh, a black person who is lost in the everydayness of being a human being um, because we, for the most part, think of uh, people with my sort of heritage um, in the African slave trade and so on as part of a group, of uh, the enslaved group in modern history. And um, so we have a, gr a group identity, even when you write about someone's uh, life, especially in, in, in North America. Um, so they're a group of people who are in the South or they've migrated to the North, but they're always more in sociology. And I never really understood that that's how an, a narrative uh, about a, an, a black person would work, should work. And so um, not knowing that, I just want, I wanted to write about what it feels like to be a, a human, an individual consumed by life itself, human existence itself. Um, Attached to it, of course, because he's human, but also uh, unable to express um, himself because um, events have swallowed him up, something like that. For me, it was a very uh, profound experience reading this book, uh, not only because I could relate on it on some on some level to, I don't know, my life or someone's life. But also because you're writing, I feel like, from within a void. You're writing 
about a shadow, a shadow in your life, a person that you didn't didn't know, and you showed a way to do that literary. For me, it was a very profound experience. And did you have problems with that motive? Was it a hard uh, thing to do? Um, yes, but all all my books, all the things I write are, are hard to do. I think that, and it wasn't really uh, easy, but I think the book that came most um, early to me, most clearly, and uh, it to me was a book I wrote called Annie John uh, about um, growing up and um, uh, I think the the writer, and I haven't thought about this for a long time, the writer that made that um, most easy for me, it was uh, Claudine by Colette. I don't know if you all know Colette, but the Claudine books are among my favorite. And they, they, the last two are not as good as the first two, Claudine and Claudine and Annie. Um, but Claudine in particular was uh, a great encourager. And I don't know, think you would call it an, an, an influence because she's really a great writer and I'm not. So, um, uh, but, but it was, um, that gave me the encouragement. If you haven't read it, please do. It's just exquisite. Uh, and I, if you haven't read it, I kind of envy you because yeah, I have something in my yeah, life to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, I need that. Yeah, yeah. There are th there are books when after I've read them, I think, oh, now I don't have that to look for. Yeah, <laughs> that would be uh, one of them. And also in Mr. Potter, I think you are mastering a trait of yours that has always been present, but here it finds its like um, golden form, and that is uh, repetition. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, yeah, I, I never. Uh, uh, people criticize me for that. I'm quite taken to task, quite a bit for that. Um, Why? Well, um, because um, you know, in America, we Americans, but the world is getting used to it now because um, a trait of ours is being revealed to the madman who's our president. Um, but we are very um, um, short attention. Um, I'm sure we, the idea of attention deficit disorder originated in America because we are very... Uh, so the, the idea of uh, repeating something which you would think would be a... Um, a a gift, but an American would say, well, you've said that already. What's the matter? You've said it. Uh, um, you know, not not that uh, you've read it before, but even though you've read these words before, the way they are arranged now and the context they are in now, they must be different. And um, so we we uh, uh, don't like that. But um, you know the influence I see uh, and my desire to do that um, comes uh, from two sources, um, uh, immediate sources I can think of. Uh, when I was a child, I read the Bible over and over, not because I was religious, though I did come from a, a home that went to church every Sunday. 
um, but because I had nothing else to read. And I read in particular the part called the Old uh, Testament. I, I never liked the New Testament so much because of the, um, you know, it's full of these individuals and they're a bit like celebrities, you know, they knew each other, they went, met at this river, they ate this, they drank that. and. Um, so I never liked it as much as I liked the uh, beginning of Genesis and and um, uh, uh, so on. So you, you can see, and the other influences had um, the Bible has had on my writing is, for instance, the way uh, what I just read to you began with a conjunction. I don't know how you say that in if you have that rule in yeah. You have that a conjunction. You're not supposed in English. You're not supposed to begin a, a sentence, never mind a whole book, with the word "and" or "but." Um, but the Bible does it all the time. Not "but," but "and." And the reason I can see for that in in uh, uh, the Bible is that the uh, story of creation has no beginning and end. Really, it's all um, at least that's my interpretation. Uh, so. Um, there's that bi that influence, uh, and um, the other is that uh, when I was seven years of age, my mother, for my seventh birthday, gave me a dictionary, and again, because I had nothing else to read, I read it from A <laughs> to Z, and so I became fa uh, fascinated without really knowing there was the... Because I grew up on, you know, on a small island, I didn't know there was such a thing as fascinated, but... That is exactly what happened to me. I was, I became um, embroiled, is really more to, in words and in these mythical way of um, of telling stories. I mean, my books. I think I always begin a book in some sort of with some mythical, in every way, grand idea, um, with a single person and a single person and a grand idea are really not compatible. I, <laughs> I find. Why is that? Well. Because, it's, uh, well, for me, the single person has a, uh, the individual has a certain uh, journey. A grand idea belongs to, a, it seems to me, um, a people. And um, at my stage of thinking about, uh, uh, I, find I find the people dangerous. I, l I am part of a we, but I'm very afraid of the of the we, I find that um, they turn on you as soon as they they like. Um, so uh, I I'm very suspicious of the group, and uh, I like more thinking how the individual would think of the group, or or would tell the group something. Again, if you if if you see my view, it's really that I identify with the prophetic. Um, who are always telling the people something they don't want to hear and yeah. st will stone you. Um, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Shoot you. Yeah. <laughs> but also I think this repetition, it, it's a bit similar to the way the memory works. Exactly. Exactly. You don't... Yeah, exactly. Because you, uh, you know... Ah, um, again, you, 
remember something. It's always telling you something new, even though it's the same uh, memory. Um, but and so that too, because I I write so much from uh, memory, both my own and something handed down. Something um, I wasn't present in the year 1492, uh, but I feel very much connected to it. Um, by the way, the journals of Christopher Columbus, are, I don't know if they're translated in Swedish, but they're to be highly recommended. The first encounter between these two worlds, or three worlds, or four or five actually. Um, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, since, so since I'm always writing out of something that you we ordinarily would call the past, but for me is very much the present, um, and the present for me is also very much the future. So, and the future is very much the past. <laughs> it's true, you know. Um, Anyway, since I'm uh, always writing in that way, the repetition of uh, uh, each, each day you think about the same thing, you don't think about it in, uh, even if you think, think about it in a different way, the same words apply uh, to it. So you have um, uh, different interpretations. I think I'm also always trying to communicate uh, something that is really incommunicable, which is the way I feel into words, which is a really great frustration, the way I feel and would like to be understood. Well, it, I can't really convey it, but I, I like trying anyway. It's, you know, so it's a great deal of living um, with failure, but I sort of, so enjoy the effort doing something, even though I know I will fail at it. Uh, I don't mind um, uh, failing at it. And um, again, just to show you how I would m put failure into a kind of myth, you know, I will, um, you know how it says in the beginning, um, God separated light and day and so on, and saw that it was good. So I always think that, and saw that it was good, means that there were other things that weren't good. So there were failures, but that didn't stop the creation. So I, in that way, I, it's not that I'm not afraid of failure, I just don't know how to stop attempting to do something. And knowing I will fail never discourages me. I just think I'll do it again. Maybe one day I will see that it was good. Yeah. And isn't that the same philosophy that you bring into your gardening? Oh, you know about that? Yeah. <laughs> I've read your garden books. Now I want to start a garden in my disgusting apartment. I'm looking at my depressed, like, really easy to maintain uh, plants that always die anyway. And I'm like, maybe I should pick this up. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, yes. Well, plants will... D oh, they are... Um, People have cats and dogs and think that cats and dogs have personalities. Wait until you meet a plant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they are just impossible. Um, yeah, uh, I really, 
uh, had no intention of becoming a gardener, but I was given these tools, cheap garden tools for Mother's Day, and um, again, I've, and, and seeds, and I went outside and planted them, and nothing happened. So naturally, failure, here I come. <laughs> and uh, I started to garden, just started to, how do you do this? Everyone um, actually laughed at me because I read so much about gardening um, and quickly knew so much about it that actually when my friends saw me, they come, they would just flee because here came a gardening um, story or here came, comes <laughs> some, uh, some, we, gardening had led me to Thomas Jefferson, Carlos Linnaeus, the Enlightenment, uh, conquest, um, plant collecting, I just, geology. I um, got involved in gardening and then the next thing I knew I was all over the world. Literally, in some way, figuratively, I went to China to collect seeds and spent four weeks in Nepal as a plant collector um, and and uh, so on. But it was that that initial failure to um, grow anything, starting on the uh, my second Mother's Day, my first Mother's Day. Was it my first? I think it was my first Mother's Day that I was given these tools, and um, they were sort of a joke. Uh, the person who gave them to me regretted terribly. <laughs> Um, which is another thing associated with, uh, I don't know if that would ever come across, regret, uh, things done. Um, and again, you know, I miss, uh, going back to the creation story, I think sometimes whoever created us must look at us and say, I'm so sorry, that was, that was one of my huge mistakes. <laughs> One thing that I found very enjoyable about reading uh, about your gardening is also that you, because I I can't I'm not interested in gardening, but now I am, <laughs> and I've been googling different plants. And when you write about gardening, it isn't just only gardening. You also come come back to like the same themes that are running through your whole uh, order. Yes, yes, like. Yes. Uh, Columbus. Yes. Well, uh, yeah. No, no. Um, one of the discoveries I, I, you, you know, people think of gardens, and and correctly so. They are also that as places of um, respite and uh, calm, and you work out your mental problems. I actually think now. Um, it's used in in therapy for mental illness, gardening, and it's all that's all uh, good. But the garden itself, in its original creation and its in, in contemporary creation, is a place of incredible disturbance and uh, um, you know and and upheaval. If everything about it is in conflict, um, you know the forcing of the plant into certain shapes or to grow with things it has never heard of. Um, there are all sorts of... Uh, um, the naming of plants which you're... Um, yeah, we're very familiar with it. Yes, yeah. you're very familiar because because you gave the world this man who named um, uh, 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 plants and uh, someone who, by the way, I come 
often call him Adam, like in in um, uh, the way he names um, things. That's the second Adam. And apparently, he, uh, he's referred to in literature. It's not. Uh, I thought it was new to me, but apparently, it's how you all have described him. Uh, Swedes, Swedish people who think of Linnaeus as the second Adam. He's very much um, so. And uh, I, I'm sure this is. You're familiar with this, but his system um, uh, came about, or the way he. Um, finalized it was in a greenhouse in um, the Netherlands when he was visiting his friend, a man named George Clifford, who will be described as an Anglo-Dutch banker when he was in fact perhaps a slave trader for the Dutch East India Company. But um, that is the way um, transgressors like to describe themselves in the most heroic terms, Anglo-Dutch banker. Um, who had a bunch of plants from uh, the warm places and uh, they had no names and Linnaeus named them and um, the book he published it is called Hortus Cliffortianus which has always uh, fascinated me. I've always wanted to see it and then one day I found a copy for sale for hundreds of dollars which I bought. Um, but that was not as bad as when I bought the journals of um, a plant hunter named Joseph Hooker in Kathmandu for $600, and then I came home and had nothing to eat. <laughs> I'm telling you, this garden thing, I... Um, but to go back to the, the, the troubles of the garden, you can... Uh, and when I write about the garden, I often refer to the... or teach a garden. I sometimes teach a course on the garden. Um, you know, you go back to the story of the uh, creation of paradise, and I think I've... I'm sure you've heard me, or you will have read it in, in the book. It's always, always seemed odd to me the way the creation stories um, reflected in garden history, you know, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. And I interpret it to mean that the, the tree of life is agriculture and the tree of knowledge is horticulture. And in invariably, inevitably, in societies with garden culture, you have enough to eat and then you begin to grow things simply for the knowledge and the aesthetic. Um, of them. So all of that um, I learned from that failure of in Mother's Day, <laughs> uh, 1985. <laughs> uh. Because I want to ask you as well, when we are talking about, or well, I want to talk about Columbus and uh, a little place, a small place. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about Columbus because your f father is from St. Lucia? He's from Uganda, but he oh, went to St. Lucia, Lucia and okay. had a family. Uh, but also, uh, Uganda was part of the Commonwealth. Yes, yes. So, oh, yes. Yeah, I also right. hate the English people. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> can we have tea? Yeah, of course. <laughs> 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 so, I would like to talk a little bit about a small place and. Um, mm. Well, yeah, um, just 
uh, to go back to the garden and uh, in which a small place can, um, uh, you know, and, we, and I said, oh, would you like to have tea? But, you know, um, it's the British who introduced tea to India and, and now, of course, it defines their national character, this drink that uh, they never had um, before. Um, but as a small place, what was introduced to for us wasn't tea, but breadfruit. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like breadfruit? My stepmom makes it to me and she says it's nutritious. And I agree. <sighs> but that's about it. It's, it's nutritious. It, it, yes, they say that. And then I, I once read that it really has no nutrition. It's just carbohydrates. Yeah. Um, but I suppose carbohydrates must be, it's necessary, never mind. Um, the breadfruit was introduced to the Caribbean uh, by the British um, as a cheap food for slaves. Captain Cook and his crew, which is the second, I think, most important discovery in... Um, after 1492, he say, took a, a tr his around-the-world trip, it's called tr uh, expedition, which is another curious word used um, in the narratives of conquest. Lewis and Clark made an expedition out west. No, they went to conquer it in this particular way. Conquest has many forms. Um, but uh, Captain Cook went to uh, the, actually went to observe something called the transit of Venus. And if you don't know what that is, Wikipedia will tell you. The next time it happens, none of us will be alive. Um, it's a phen uh, phenomenon. Anyway, he went to observe it, and um, but of course also to see what was in these islands. And um, he took with him uh, a scientist, which Columbus hadn't done. Columbus took thieves and so on. Um, he took with him scientists and botanists, a student of Linnaeus, um, and, uh, and a great uh, plantsman who became the head of Kew Gardens in England, Joseph Banks. So anything you see called Banksia is named after him. Anyway, he took, um, they found all sorts of things, uh, um, and uh, for cultivation. And this is where uh, the vegetable kingdom becomes um, economic. Um, they found, uh, the early explorers had looked for gold, uh, looked for things in the mineral kingdom, but the later um, empire is primarily from the vegetable kingdom, sugar, uh, cane, or something, called the economic annual. The economic annual is essentially the foundation of the wealth Europe now dwells on. It's the it lays the foundation for it. Sugar cane, uh, sugar cane, cotton, tobacco, they are annuals, and it's called the economic annual. All of that I learned in the garden, by the way. It's not, I'm not speaking as a historian or a sociologist. If you just read any book on, um, you just suddenly see, oh, that's where that comes from. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, in any case, the breadfruit was introduced to uh, the Caribbean because the um, 
uh, uh, people who owned plantations uh, and worked the, the enslaved thought that they took too much time off to cook their own food so if, and grow their own food. So if only you could find something that grew quickly and um, was nutritious, which it, which it isn't really um, nutritious, they've looked into it, uh, it would give the slaves more time to produce. Um, you know, the way how capitalism always looks for to increase production. I don't quite understand Marx myself, but I know it's something about increased production. Well, a person's production can only be increased so much. So, in any case, they, they brought the breadfruit to the first botanical garden in the West Indies, which was in St. Vincent, the second one being in Jamaica. And um, which another thing is to call these places, botanical gardens, they were really agricultural stations, but this was a way of disguising their true meaning. A botanic garden is for education, an agricultural station is for producing plants to make money. But anyway, that was how the breadfruit um, uh, came to the West Indies as an economic idea and um, then after that a lot of things were introduced for their economic um, rubber for instance comes from uh, Brazil and then they made plantations uh, of rubber plantations in a similar climate in Asia and so on so if you look at the world through um, gardening, the vegetable kingdom, you see a host of things that are repellent. Um, on the other hand, these hosts of things, plants uh, and people, um, they are not only inevitable, but there is also a lot of beauty uh, in them. And uh, um, so, for instance, you know, I grow cotton as an annual in my garden, and I never get cotton because Vermont has too short a season, but I do it because it's not the cotton's fault that it was used in this hideous way to enslave people, um, so I kind of want to redeem cotton. That's yes. Nice. Oh. <laughs> See, it's almost like a cat and a dog. Oh. <laughs> But it's a plant. The other thing I can tell you why you should have a garden is that the garden and the gardener develop a relationship that um, you have to pay attention to. So that, for instance, um, I'll give you an example with my own garden. Almost all my plants are taller than they should be in the literature. And they are also, because they're taller, stoop over, just like me. They will kind of crooked. I always have to tie things up or just let them flop over. And I know it's there's something between us that we um, communicate. And um, it's, it's not, you know, it's uh, to me, um, um, it's real. I attended, a, I was asked, invited to a conference of um, um, animal studies there because there are people who study the feelings of animals and so on. And then now entering the field are people who study plants and there are all these examples of plants communicating and suffering which drive the uh, animal studies people crazy because if plants have feelings, there'll be nothing to eat. It was, f and plants do have feelings, but you have to eat anyway.
Can, uh, can I ask you about a small place? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I thought I just told you. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you kind of did. Uh, or well, I can if you don't want to talk about I it. Do, I, I do. I do. I can also no, ask, ask you me about it. What would you like to? No, but I can ask you about the gardening. Um, because I've I heard, was, I was almost allegedly yes. that you do a lot of writing in the garden. Yes, I do a lot of uh, writing in the garden. Uh, I do a lot of writing in bed. Uh, my favorite thing is to uh, be lying in bed and look out on a perfectly beautiful day um, where you should be outside. I just like looking at it. Um, I agree with that. I think that is like the true uh, mark of opulence, that you see something nice outside and you decide no thanks. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, looking at it. But um, a small place... Uh, Yes. Uh, what would, would you like? To, uh, am I against tourism? Is something people always want to know. If, uh, no. Oh, that's not my question. I had a really good time reading it. I laughed a bit. You did? Uh, yeah, of course. It is. It is not a really funny book, but it has some funny parts, especially like yeah, tourists are ugly. They are ugly. They're really ugly. And especially when they go to the Caribbean, because they're always red and they are always in a bad mood. I don't know why, because they spend a lot of money on those vacations, but they're never happy. That's true. Yeah. But I can tell you what it, what, how uh, I've come to uh, understand that. When you go to places like the Caribbean, um, uh, for on the beach, at the miserable winter up here, you go there to forget yourself, to forget what life is like here and uh, on the other hand if you're a tourist going to Paris or Vienna you go to these places to enhance yourself and that's a, a big difference it's, a, it's, not, it's not so much the act of uh, tourism but the intent behind it and if you go to a place where there are people who make you forget yourself you forget them too. You forget that they are human beings with their uh, little individual ups and downs and, you know, um, uh, pangs of hunger um, in need of Xanax or some calming potion, um, in need of, just in human, in need of what humans need. You forget that they are uh, human beings. So um, that was what I was trying to say uh, in a small place. It's not so much that you shouldn't be a tourist, but you shouldn't go to, uh, to be among people who make you forget who you really are because you forget who they really are also. That was what I meant. Yeah, because uh, I read like some old reviews of the book and yeah, I'm just trying to keep up with the times. And uh, a lot of people described it as an angry book. And yes. I didn't really get that. Well, the thing um, about um, the, the lot of people who said it was an angry book, again, it's a race, a race thing, that... Um, in, in America, when a black person tells you something, um, you immediately say, oh, it's very angry, it's very angry. And it's something that's perfectly obvious, you know, you're standing on my neck. 
you're very angry to have said that. Well, no, it's just something that's true. So people said the book was angry because they really felt I was depriving them of this thing that they had loved so much, which is to go to places, uh, don't go to places where you don't like the people. So another puzzling thing about Europeans, they're always going among pe to be among people that they don't really like, you know? They're always going to Africa. They don't like Africans. <laughs> It's a very puzzling thing. Why do you go to a place where you don't like the people? I think, I don't remember his name, but he was British, of course, one of the big, like, colonialists. He said about, I guess, I don't remember either the, the country he was colonializing or but uh, conquering, but he said that, like, the nature is beautiful, but the, the people, yeah, yes. they are horrible. Yes, yes. It's, it's something someone said about Africa. Um, it's the people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's a very, uh, the other, well, the funny thing about uh, the people is that, of course, um, the European seems not to know her or himself except in opposition to these other people. I don't know what Europeans would do without Africans and the rest of us. Um, they just have to be their lonely selves. I exempt everyone in the room from this I don't, um, observation. I don't. <laughs> well, she's yours, she's Swedish. I know you all. But um, I also feel like one of the things that you are doing in a small place and in a lot of your writing is the act of talking back. Because mm. I also read like the criticism from for some of the other books and it's all, always the same trope, like this is angry, this is angry. No, no, no. <laughs> and it isn't angry. But uh, <laughs> And I f found it interesting. Uh, so I, I was thinking about it and then I feel it's just that act. Because Europeans or white people in general are not used to being looked at. They are used at looking, but not being oh, looked at. Yes, that's very, very true. I mean, there's such a, a history in the act of, of Europeans or white people, whatever you want to call it, um, preventing uh, people from looking, looking not only at their oppressors, but looking um, at, the, at themselves, it was always, um, well, in, in the American South, very much, uh, il very illegal to teach black people to read and, and write. Um, in the uh, English-speaking Caribbean, it was illegal also, but the difference is that um, our oppressors lived um, an ocean away, um, not next door, so um, uh, it was very e much easier for us to look at our at, at Europeans, white people, and to think, oh, what a funny group. Oh, just avoid them, you know, you work for them, but then go home, close your door, never think about it um, uh, again. But but um, it's it's true that that. Uh, not so much now in America, but it used to be any time a, a white person was looked at by a black person. If you just they, if a black person just described their everyday life, and their everyday life was always a series of awfulness directed at them by white people, incredible amounts of robbery, everyday theft, everyday. Um, 
cruelty. Uh, whenever a, a white, a black person described it, they would be called um, angry and political. That was always another. Um, it's never political when when white people are doing something, but as soon as black people say something, say, oh, now you're being political, which is a, a way of making um, a lot of things uh, African-Americans said uh, illegitimate, delegitimizes um, their thinking, our thinking, uh, by saying it's political. But everything is political. I was saying to somebody earlier, just getting out of bed. Well, how did you get the bed? Um, yeah. A glass of water is political. Some people don't have water. Some people don't have good drinking water. So, um, and to get water and to get good drinking water, uh, uh, you have to do certain things. Well, when a black person does them, they're political. When a white person does it, it's a human right. Um, you said in interviews earlier and also in your writing that you early on in your life discovered that writing, the act of writing could change your life. Yes, right. Do you want to describe that to oh. the audience? <laughs> oh, well, the, the example, the most ready example that uh, that come to mind is um, oh, when my first brother was born, I um, dropped him and almost killed him. And so my mother sent me to live with her parents who come from Dominica, which is near St. Lucia. Uh, uh, and she sent me to live with her, her parents and her sister. And the incredible thing was she and her sister quarreled all the time, but by letters. They would just write each other these angry letters, which would come by boat, and my mother would explode and sit down and write back. And uh, so when I went to live with her sister, I would witness the same thing, a letter from my mother. So I missed my mother terribly, and... Um, began to write to her uh, letters, which I couldn't post, I had no way of posting them, um, saying to how badly her sister treated me. And I would write them, and uh, but I would hide them under a stone. And one day my aunt saw them, uh, saw me doing this, and she took out these letters and read them, and, and um, she got incredibly angry at me and immediately put me on the next boat back to my mother. So I could, I think it, it not consciously, um, you know, one thing to the other, but it must have made the impression on me that writing could change my situation um, because that uh, did. Of course, when I got back to my mother, she had yet another child. So it was just sort of also writing is hopeless, but yeah, you like know. gardening. You gardening, yeah. 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 But I kept, yes, so I kept writing. It's hopeless, but I keep doing it. Yeah. Do you want to talk about your mother? Or Not is really. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I used to talk about her a lot, and then I wrote Annie John, and I stopped talking about her and just only wrote about her. I would just sort of bore people senseless the way I now do about gardening. And um, and but she also well I'll just talk about her my mother and gardening she was an excellent um, gardener and um, had this unusual ability to eat something and if she liked it 
plant the seed and it grew and grew and then sometimes the thing grew into a nuisance and she would just chop it down. So there, I've talked about my mother. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, there's always a very strong sel uh, sense of self in your characters in your books. Uh, and especially the female ones. Yes, because Mr. Ones. Potter doesn't. Yeah, have well, he he is the exception, yes. I guess. Yes. But uh, and they also usually have a very strong love for themselves. Sometimes maybe as a protection yes. from the world, or because of lack thereof from the family or outside world. But why do you choose to write about that type of character? You can say something else. If you yeah, no. <laughs> no, no. Um, it's a good question, and I never. Um, yeah, I th I suppose I only knew um, really strong, what we call strong women. But I, I think you know my mother was very um, self-possessed, but also very self-destructive, and in the way um, almost destroyed her her children. Um, at the time she died, uh, two of us were not speaking to her. One was dead, and the other one she had um, she had great quarrels with him and would throw stones at him. She liked throwing stones at things, and um, and my other brother and I were not really speaking to her. I was I wasn't the only one um, alienated from her, but. Um, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, I'm I'm thinking of which is also the problem why I don't write more. I have ten uh, ten things uh, I'm I'm thinking at once. But you wait. Tell me again how your question goes. We can take something else. You, you can <laughs> well, just answer whatever you want. No, that is like Bill Gates. I saw a documentary about him like last night because I was bored, and he was like always having ten different things in his head all the time. Really? Yeah. And why don't I have his fortune, I say to myself. Maybe, maybe soon. I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I, 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 you asked me about strong women, but I, um, my mother was very uh, self-possessed, and um, though uh, um, she tried very much to instill such a thing in me, uh, a sense of self-possession, though every time I seemed on the verge of self-possession, she would just sort of, you know, shatter me, like um, gathering up all my books and burning them, which I even then um, understood was a, a sort of blow. They were the only treasures I had, and they were a secret. I, again, I kept them in a secret place under the house. And um, she, one day, just because I'd done something that annoyed her, I hadn't looked after my brother properly, and uh, so my books were were burned. So, but but the books, you know, were a sort of um, lifeline for me as I was growing into uh, being a woman, an independent uh, woman. Um, there was no real. Uh, destination for me, and the only thing I had that felt mine in the world, I could make myself uh, uh, into something in the world, was in books. Ima my imaginary life was tied up 
um, with books and uh, she burnt them um, in a rage. Uh, so I was surrounded by uh, strong or, or women who, um, another example of how self-determined these women were, they would gather together um, every week or so and exchange uh, recipes for various ways of controlling their womb, the out, the regulate, regulating is the best way, um, their womb, how to, if they were having their periods, how to make it go smoothly, or if they found themselves pregnant and they didn't want to be, how not to be uh, pregnant through using various teas and so on and so on. So I was surrounded by women who tried very much to determine their, de their own destiny in one way or another. Um, but in my own case, my mother seemed to uh, block my way uh, to that. Um, but again, um, you know, I seem to be talking so much about uh, uh, rising up out of um, uh, failure, um, though it makes sense. Uh, I just, uh, not too long ago, was talking to a psychiatrist and he's, he nodded his head and he said, well, you have the resilient gene. So there is something called the resilient gene. Maybe those of us who don't have it can buy it soon. <laughs> yeah, maybe buy Bill Gates. Yes. Future <laughs> near you. <laughs> Uh, in an old interview, I saw you speak about your writing process, and we, we brushed upon it a little bit, but that you write in your head, and once it hits the page or the computer, you don't edit. Is that still...? That seems to be still uh, true. It's, I, I, yeah, I've never understood um, quite editing. Usually people have to make... Um, uh, because I write so quickly, I will not mention misspell words, but um, uh, sometimes uh, they think I've left out a comma or something when I haven't at all. I don't mean a comma to be there. That's um, how I've written. Um, yeah, it's hard to edit me. You, uh, it's hard to tell what to do. Either you like it or you don't like it. Um, either you understand it or you don't understand it, but there's no way uh, to make it con conventional. Um, I started... The, well, the other thing is, um, that's a big influence on me is um, uh, English poetry of a certain period. Um, Elizabethan poetry, um, Wordsworth, Coleridge, the Romantics are a big influence. Um, but yeah, so um, I can't write poetry. I, I really think poetry is a uh, calling, which I don't seem to have had. I'm very sorry about that uh, because I would have liked it. Uh, in any case, um, my, I don't really have a process to write. I write for a long time in my head and then I put it down. And sometimes even when I'm writing, um, the way the sentence has appeared in my head, when I put it on, when I put it down and I look at it, I can see that I didn't get the balance quite right, you know, the, the um, balance on the words, the page, the words on the page suddenly don't make the sort of sounds that they had. 
um, uh, in my head. And I think, again, it's something that uh, must be because of my, my childhood. I was told that I could talk before I could walk. So I've come to think that perhaps I could um, read before I could write or the other way around. But I could do one thing um, before the other. Uh, I could just... I don't remember talking before I, I walked, but I was told um, that that's why I was such a chatterbox, or that's why I would remember... I was always correcting the other people's memory. I didn't realize people lied. I just thought they didn't <laughs> remember what happened, so I would tell them um, what what happened. But in a, in a way, all that I'm describing to you have something to do with how... Um, I write. So if I write something, when I'm now in my head, when I put it down, I can see all sorts of things that I had left out in simply just making it in my in my head. I don't know how other people write, I'm, uh, but I'm sure if I did, I, uh, I would be very jealous of it because other people seem to write so much more than I do. Yeah, but is it good? Oh, well... <laughs> That is the question. Is it good? Uh, well, if we're talking about failure, I once heard you also talk about the See Now Then, your latest book. Yes. And you said it was an epic failure. <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm talking in BuzzFeed um, articles. Uh, but because uh, it didn't achieve what you wanted to achieve. So uh -huh. I want to ask you what did you want to achieve? And I didn't think it was well, an epic failure. No, well, I think everything I write is an epic failure, and that's why I have to write the other one to correct the ones I've written before. Um, uh, you know, I somehow thought, well, I was write, trying to write about time, um, in which I put a family, a mother and a father, um, who has uh, only are called Mr. and Mrs. Sweet. They have no other names than the children. Um, I suppose the epic part would be, I called the children, um, the girl is named Penelope, and she, um, not Penelope, Persephone, and uh, she uh, lives, uh, she only comes alive every spring, and all the rest of the time, she lives in her father's Brooks Brothers jacket. And you'd find that funny if you knew what Brooks Brothers was. Um, and I called the boy Heracles, not Hercules, because Hercules is sort of a ridiculous cartoon character, whereas Heracles is noble and the son of a god and so on. Um, and they have the characteristics of these mythical characters. So I thought I was going to write uh, uh, something of epic uh, uh, proportions, in, 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 you know, uh, and since it takes place in various ways of that time manifests itself uh, to human beings, for instance, in different geological eras and and so on. And then um, I think I, f I thought it was a failure because I, I came to the end of it and I always think that there is no end. And, and I was... I was surprised that it sort of crested and that I was finished with it. Oh, 
But isn't that like time itself? But time doesn't end. Yeah. Yeah. But I came to the end of the book. I just thought it would... Yeah. There's no real explaining it to another person. I just... To me it felt... Um, uh, but it got terrible. So it got some harsh reviews. And so I loved it even more. It's my, f it's my favorite book. If it's the, your least favorite book, you must tell me so I can tell you it's my favorite book. Whatever book no one likes. And, and no one ever likes my work. When I, I first started um, to write, um, the first uh, set of short stories I wrote, I remember this woman uh, named Ann Tyler, who was a very famous American writer. And she wrote, uh, she wrote a review of, of these little short stories and she said they were insultingly, almost insultingly obscure. And I thought, well, if I wrote a review of her book, I would say they were, her books are insultingly clear. But I never wrote a, book, a review of her book. You label yourself or told before that you viewed uh, yourself as a reader before you became a writer? I think so. I love to read. Um, and it's almost as if I write so I can support this habit of reading. Um, I just think reading is just so magical. You just can forget yourself. Um, and yourself is so such a heavy burden. You know, so reading... Again, I just was telling someone that a psychiatrist once, as you can imagine, a psychiatrist plays a large part in my life, um, once asked me to draw my family, and I drew everyone full-bodied. And then when I started to draw myself, I just gave up. I said, you know, oh, I can't draw, I don't like to do this. And so she said, well, what's the matter, what's wrong with this picture? And I said, I'm so sorry, I don't know how to draw. And she had to point out to me that I had drawn myself with only a head. And that made so much sense. You know, I'm always tripping over because I forget I have this arrest of a body. I just like to, dream, to think of things all the time. Um, so, and as I get older, that's a, a problem because um, you just stumble, you know. So now I've got to become aware of my feet. Yeah, we talked earlier uh, about heavy shoes. Yes. You like to have heavy shoes because then you remember you that you have up. feet. Oh, God. And you, oh, but my you head. Stay would, grounded, I guess. My head would just <laughs> be so disappointed in me. Yeah. But if you viewed yourself as a reader, and you also said that everything worth reading should be hard to read, which I think is nice. Because, you know, people always want comfort in their life. They want things that will make it more comfortable. But I want things to be hard, and I think it can be... Well, life is hard, you know, so why should reading be something else? Yes. But I also want to ask you, because I was upset when I read some of your reviews, that how would you like to be read? Oh, um, and I don't think authors like this kind of question, but <laughs> no, how would I like to be read? Um, uh, I would like to be read uh, by every single person in the entire world, but they must never tell me about it. <laughs> I don't want to know, but I really like being read. Just don't tell me. Um, I, 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 
Yeah, I think I'm not very good at... Um, I'm much better at handling criticism. Criticism, I think, oh, I can deal with that. But um, the other thing, I feel, oh no, oh gosh, people like me. I better go home. There's something wrong with them. Yeah, it's a terrible feeling. <laughs> but why do you think it is that way? I don't know. Well, have you ever seen people who are, are pleased with themselves? They're just abominable. So, you know, I, can't, I have to find a way in between, but I haven't. So it's either, you know, you, you've seen people who are terribly... Um, smug. You know, yeah, smug. That's uh, Oh, it's, it's beyond smug. It's something so reprehensible. You just, yeah, you just want to go be a hermit. Yes. But that's smug too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Better not think about it. I... Oh, I like to think about myself, but I don't like you to know that I am. I... <laughs> See, you are doing something that people your age do. She's looking at her screen. Yeah, but I have my notes yes, there. Yes. I have my notes. I'm not texting anyone. <laughs> or am I? No, I'm not. I wouldn't blame you if you were. <laughs> oh. But uh, what, will I, what should I ask you now? Um, except see now then, do you have another favorite book by yourself? Oh, no, 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 I don't want to know that. I want to know about your relationship with uh, Derek Walcott. Oh, he was very kind to me. Um, I think, uh, oh, you don't really... Uh, the, I think the first time I went to Gothenburg, I, um, for some reason... Um, he and Joseph Brodsky were doing something and they asked me to come. Jarek asked me to come. And um, I, I think it was the first time I was in Sweden. This is many years ago. But I turned on the television and um, there was this incredibly wonderful pornography that I was just... Watch! I just couldn't believe you could see something like that on, on television. So the next morning at breakfast, I said, "Oh, Derek, you'll never guess what I saw," and I started to tell him, and he said, "Stop! I don't want to hear that from you." And um, uh, so that was my—he he always treated me like a daughter. Yeah. Yeah. He was very kind and uh, wonderful to me. Um, yeah. And um, in a way, I was sort of. Uh, uh, terrified of him because he really didn't like prose. He much like loved poetry, and so he was always surrounded by you know young poets, and um, and I was just this aging daughter prose person. So I just watched him from a distance. But I, I've uh, the the relationship. Uh, as I say, he was very. Uh, paternal to me in the best of, uh, way that that ought to, word ought to be, uh, should be. Not, um, yeah, it's just like a father. Perhaps the father I never had. He was very nourishing. And oh. did he have any influence on your writing? I don't think so, but you never know. Um, <laughs> You know, you would never know the Bible was an influence. Would you have known the Bible was an influence on my work? You know, it's, it, it's, it's probably true. He was the first person to, when I started to write, you know, I, I didn't know there was this whole um, 
history of Caribbean literature, and he asked me if I knew this, if I knew that, and then he gave me a book of a collection of stories of West Indian writers. They were all men. But he loved Jean Rhys. He did. He admired her very much. Uh, um, yeah. But his influence on me, I, I don't. I wouldn't know it, but um, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if there was. How could there? How could there not be? Um, as I'm sure, I um, I wouldn't be surprised if I was an influence on younger West Indian writers. Uh, it's you know it's sort of in a way um, you stand on the shoulders of people and you hope you have strong enough shoulders for people to stand on you and it you know the whole thing goes on yeah uh, like a form of pollination I guess <laughs> I'm catching oh up. I see the flowers rarely got to you it's okay. yeah. I'm gonna buy a lemon oh tree now. I'm By the way, you should—you uh, have a fabulous botanical garden. I was there today, and yeah, I, yeah, here in Stockholm. Yeah. Okay, I've only been to the one in Uppsala. That one is more Linnaeus. Yes, but this yeah. one is—it's—it's um, um, it's good. I found a, a Daphne in it. It was and looked like I thought, how can you grow that in Stockholm? So I have to find out what kind of Daphne it is to see if I can grew it in Vermont, but, um, and Tulsa had a, a rhubarb, rhubarb Alex, Alexandra that is, um, I don't, it, it wasn't thriving, and I was very happy because it doesn't thrive <laughs> for me either. It comes from Nepal, Riam Alexander, look it up, but it's only spelled Alexandre. Um, so who that Alexander is, I don't know, but it's and it's native. It's native to um, uh, the uh, to uh, Nepal, um, but it's not called Riam Nepal. It's called Riam Alexander. There's no sharper named Alexander. And probably but he was not a good person. <laughs> probably. Uh, well, what you see, you go, you we we come back again to you know you ask about the garden. One of the things that's fascinating um, about the garden is the number of things uh, that are named. Um, Wherever they're from, uh, once they come into the European view, they're named after somebody. Uh, there's a whole set of plants grown in um, Japan, hosta, that are native to Japan. Hosta, um, um, a viburnum, um, but they have the name of, the way you can tell uh, they're from Japan is they bear the name of a Dutchman who worked also for the Dutch East India Company, um, Von yeah, he wrote a book called The Manners from his boat in the um, dock. He wrote a book called The Manners of the Japanese or something. You would know how the Japanese were from your ship, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, anyway, um, yeah, so, so yes, if you, if you want to know about the world, really, start in the garden and you will you'll know. Can I ask you a last question? And Please. I'm trying to uh, remember the time, so I want to ask oh. you about time. Uh -huh. uh, I'm so clever. Uh, 
because wh why do you think that is such a profound theme for you? Oh, time? time? For me, you don't yeah. think it is for everybody? I mean, we're obsessed with it in... Um, uh, in all sorts of ways. I mean, uh, you know, it's time to get on the bus to school. It's time to nurse the baby. It's time to do this. It's time. It's it's the thing I've decided. You know how you say race is a social construct, and I think time is the real social construct because it's really different to what is it? You know, time. Um, how I start? Uh, what? The, the novel, See Now Then, which um, if you take a minute to see, <laughs> to look at the words, seeing, um, now, and then, and I was trying to sort out how I came to be uh, this person, um, mainly because every day, for some reason, I had on a night at my bedside table a photograph of myself when I was seven years of age. And I didn't really know I was consciously thinking of this, um, but eventually I could see that um, this haunted me. How I g got from that seven-year-old in her school uniform with a Panama hat and my school colors um, as a band around the Panama hat. Um, how did I come to be this woman living in landlocked Vermont and loving it? And was there in the, where was the seven-year-old in this grown woman living in Vermont? Could I, Was it sort of like those nesting dolls? Could I just, undo and undo and then somewhere after many um, you know removal of the various nesting dolls would I find the seven-year-old I just began uh, to think about that and how it worked within a period uh, of a marriage how it worked within the period of a geological error um, how the earth got formed um, uh, how, oh, you know, how everything that is in the universe, so to speak, is also what we are made up of, how unified things were, how separate, what is anything. I just drove myself crazy uh, thinking about these things and the way I could... Uh, the family really is the skeletal, uh, skeleton around which I built all sorts of ideas. And, um, you know, uh, trying to uh, place the children at the school bus stop and the mother being late because she's writing something that the children think is perfectly stupid. And uh, the atmosphere we live in at that the same time uh, I read in one of my books on geography um, the atmosphere we live in it rained for 100 million years and I thought well what is 100 million years this is like 52 days 100 million I re really um, at one point tried so hard to linear 
to figure out the, that I fell into some kind of thing that was very difficult to get myself out of. I did get myself out of it, but it was was as if I had done something to my brain, iced it or something. I was just um, so uh, yeah, and it's a kind of question that I find even difficult to put into words to ask. So I once tried to ask a physicist this and he just laughed. Uh, so is that your final question? Yeah. And the final, and the final answer is just laugh. Jamaica Kincaid, thank you very much for this evening. It has been wonderful.